Thanks for listening to the Faith Assembly podcast. If you're in the Orlando area, we hope you're able to join us for one of our services. Please check out faithassembly.org for more information or follow us on social media at faithORL. We hope this message will be an inspiration to help you find all that God has for your life. Enjoy the message. Okay. All right, there's, there's some people that came to church ready to have church today. Um, and that is true. That's true here at this campus. It's also true at our Michigan Street campus and our Red Bug Lake campus here. Curry Ford, come on, let's show some love for the family. They're joining us right now as well. And I know across all of our campuses, we are sensing the presence of God in a very real way. And man, I'm excited for what God's going to do over these next few moments that we have together. If you're joining us on the screen somewhere else, same thing, man, we're excited for what God's getting ready to do in your life as well. If you do have a copy of uh, God's Word, uh, we're getting ready to jump into the Word. Anybody hungry for the Word today? I got a message. Acts chapter two, um, Acts chapter two, we're getting ready to pray before we jump into this, um, but you can begin to turn to Acts chapter two. When we pray today, I want to pray for a couple things. Um, I want to pray for six days away, this encounter day. We're just going to pray that God just does, uh, I mean, I mean, blows us away, just above everything we could ask, think, or imagine. We're going to pray for that to be the case. We want you to be a part of that. But we're also going to pray for Easter weekend, which is three weeks away. And uh, I don't know if you saw, but after the service, there's an Easter reach spotlight session in the uh, dining hall right after church you can head over there just some creative ways you can be a part of spreading the word about Easter so that's happening and we're gonna we're gonna pray also just that God would show up in this moment and anoint this word let's pray across link your faith with me across all of our campuses and pray with me intercede with me Lord in Jesus name we thank you for your word we pray God that today as always we thank you that your word would be reigning supreme in our lives. We place it as uh, the number one authority in our lives. Father, we just pray right now for this encounter day six days away. Lord, do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask, think, or imagine. And I thank you for transforming, yes, individuals, and yes, families, and homes. But God, also, would you just, would you just do something that would change the trajectory of our church, change the way that we are impacting this world um, in, this, in this one day event? And Father, we also pray for Easter weekend. Lord, I pray that the gospel would be presented in a powerful way and that it would change hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of lives as they encounter you. We bless you. Anoint this word. In Jesus' name, come on across all of our campuses. Everybody said amen. 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 I like when you just practice saying amen. It just gets you in the mood to be amen in me as I'm preaching. Uh, Acts chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 42 through 47, Acts 2, 42 through 47, the New International Version says it this way. They, talking about the early church here, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes 
and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And um, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This passage that we just read about is the very beginning of the New Testament church. That is where we started right there. This is the church in its infancy, but it's also the church at its greatest level of innocence. It's the primitive church, but it's also the pure church. The pure church. Um, and so there's a lot in there that we should set our targets towards as a, what the church of Jesus Christ is to look like. Um, and um, as we jump into this, we're gonna see that we should be very, very intentional about how we do church. And I, I, I as I read that passage, something kind of sticks out to me. It's maybe the, maybe the foundational reason why we see the church behaving the way that that church behaves. And uh, to explain it, I, I would say this. Um, there's a story, you don't have to turn there, it's in 1 Kings chapter three. I'm not gonna read from there, I'm just gonna tell you the story that's in 1 Kings chapter three. It's one of the most dramatic stories that's in all of God's word, and I'm gonna say that probably some of you have never even heard of it before, and uh, so you're gonna be on the edge of your seat as I tell this story, it's gonna be awesome. Even if you have heard it before, you can get on the edge of your seat as well, all right? All edges, welcome. Here we go. 1 Kings chapter three, King Solomon, it's about King Solomon, he is king, and he's also kind of judging uh, cases between people. People would bring cases to the king, and he would serve as a judge, and he would kind of determine what was the right solution to whatever problem was presented to him. Well, this one day as he's, as, he's, as he's sitting as judge, two women show up, two women with one baby. These two women live together. Um, it's implied that their lifestyle was somewhat in question, uh, their profession, um, but they come in, and here's the story. Both of these women had had children around the same time, but in the night, one of their children had passed away. The mother whose child passed away then wakes up uh, in the middle of the night, notices this, and she goes and she trades her baby, puts her dead baby in the uh, bed of the other woman who had the living child, and now she's got the living child. At least this is the accusation that's going back and forth. And so these two women are standing before King Solomon, wisest man on the planet. They're standing before him, they're telling their side of the story. And this mother's saying, no, this living child, her child died. This living child, I've nurtured him since he was born. This is my child. And then this mother over here said, no, she stole my child. Her child died. That's my child. I would know him from anywhere. And there they are, both giving their sides of the story. And he's got to decide what to do. And this is what he says. And if you haven't heard the story, you don't see this coming. But he says, he orders somebody, says, hey, bring me a sword. Of course you would, you, of course you would include a sword in this, in this story as you're trying to determine whose child this is. And this is what King Solomon says. He says, well, since both of you claim this child and you both can't have this child, here's what we're gonna do. He says, he orders one of his soldiers, he says, come and cut the child in half and you'll get one half of the child and you, the other mother, you'll get the other half of the child. And as the soldier gets ready to motioning like he's going to chop this baby in half, one of the women screams out and says, stop, don't do this. She can have the child. Just don't hurt 
the child. And as she says this, King Solomon makes his ruling. And he says, you, the woman who just was willing to give the child up, you get the child. You're the child's real mom. Amen. <laughs> I told you it was dramatic. And the reason why that King Solomon was able to make that ruling with such wisdom is this, is because ownership changes your outlook. Let me say that one more time. Ownership changes your outlook. Haven't you noticed that to be the case? Anybody old enough to have kids that grew up and have stuff of their own and they treat stuff of their own better than they used to treat your stuff when they were growing up? Anybody living that life? Yeah, one of my sons, when he first got his, his first car, he wouldn't let any food inside that car. He would literally make his friends, if they went through a drive-thru and they had a cup in their hand, he'd make them hold the cup out the window as they drove through town. I'm like, you used to pour soda all over my car. What changed? You know what changed? Ownership. And when I read about this primitive, pure church of Jesus, this infancy, this church in its infancy, um, what I noticed, something that sticks out to me, is they didn't just do church like normal. They didn't just show up once a week. You know what? They, mm, they owned their church. There was, an, there was an ownership there. And when you own something, it changes your outlook. Can I be pastoral today for a moment? Because we've been in this series, what kind of church is this? Can I tell you what kind of church we are? We are an involved church. We are an engaged church. We're an involved church. Here's why I say that. Because that which you invest in, you sense ownership of. Do you know why this woman decided to say, no, 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 you don't kill this baby. Protect this baby at all costs. Give the baby to her if you must, but do not hurt the baby. The reason why she's saying that is because she had invested her time she had invested her love. She had invested her, her, her heart and her passion into this child, and now it changed her outlook. It changed her perspective. Now she cared more about the well-being of that child than anything else. And when we are as, as involved in the church like these early believers were in their infant church, they were involved to the point that it was not about just being around church or not just being uh, in church, but no, it was about living as the church. It was that this is our church. And, and listen to me, you, I'm, 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 what I'm speaking about today pastorally, let me just call you to this, that, that some people would decide after this message today to say, you know what, no, 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 I'm not just gonna come to church, but this is going to be my church. I'm gonna take the responsibility for where we're headed spiritually. I'm gonna take the responsibility for the spiritual climate of my church because there's this thought Amen, there's this thought that would be like, well, pastor, isn't that your responsibility? My responsibility is to teach, to lead well, but at some point, you gotta pick up the mantle and say, and you know what, I'm, go I'm gonna be a part of this. I'm gonna be a part of what God's doing around here. And the reason why it's so important that we are an involved church is because statistics are, are, are kind of moving the wrong direction, not statistics for this church specifically, but in our, in our nation. I was reading through some of the church involvement statistics, and Gallup has been doing surveys for many years. They've been asking about church membership since about 1937. That was the first year they started asking about church membership in their, in their polls uh, that they would do twice a year. And in 1937, when they polled Americans and asked them about being members in, in a church, 73% of Americans 
said that they were members of a church in 1937. And then for about six decades after that, that number stayed right around 70%. Every time they would do the poll, about 70% people would say, I'm, in, I'm, I'm a member, I'm involved at a church. But then at the turn of the 21st century, since then there has been a steady decline in that number. In 1998 through 2000, the number drops to 69% of Americans saying that they are members at a church. 2008 to 2010, the number drops to 62% of people that say they're members of a church. And in 2018 to 2020, so very recently now, in the United States for the first time ever, it's under 50%, 49% now say they're members of a church. And so as we see the culture going the wrong direction, it's more incentive to us to say we've got to do church the right way. We've got to be involved, we've got to be engaged, we've got to present to our world what the church is supposed to look like. And that's a church that's involved. Um, as I read through this passage in Acts about this early church, there's a few things I think we can begin to set as our target. And the first thing would be this, a church that's involved will find time for fellowship. Find time for fellowship. Verse 42 Acts 2, they devoted themselves to fellowship. Verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. See, this word fellowship carries with it more than just spent some time in the same room. How I many know you, you can be in this room, or you can be at one of our campuses in, in the room with somebody, that doesn't mean you're in fellowship with those people that are in that room. No, to be in fellowship is a step deeper than just being around somebody, but it's to have something in common with somebody. It's not just a mutual affection, but it's also mutual conversation. It's, it's true connection, and that's, that's, what, that's what we're supposed to be. That's what you're called to be. Like, like this assignment that we have from God to be the church, it's not an individual assignment. It's a group project. Some of y'all like the group project when you're in school because you needed the help. You know what I'm saying? Well, it's the same. We need the help. We need one another. We need to know that we have something in common with somebody. Even some of our connect groups serve as that specific purpose. You might be in a connect group with somebody, and maybe maybe parenting is the topic, and you're just talking about parenting, and all of a sudden you start to hear from some other parents who are walking through some of the same trials and tribulations that you are as a parent, and you go, wait, maybe this kind of, I kind of feel something here. I feel like I've been sharpened because I have something in common with somebody else. Or maybe it's a marriage group, and you realize that not every single marriage is perfect like you thought, and maybe there's some other people that are walking through some tough seasons like you are. Maybe it's a, a singles uh, connect group, and you realize that being this thing of singleness and trying to still please God with this, and you, you get some people around you, and you realize that you have something in common. Or maybe it's a business connect group, and you realize that as a business owner, you're not the only one that's trying to balance this thing of having integrity, but also growing, growing your business. It's just all of these things are sharpening you. As, as, as iron sharpens iron, we sharpen one another, and this was always part of God's plan. And when I just show up to church and I never truly find time for fellowship, I'm missing out on a big part of what God has, has designed for me to grow in him, to learn how to be his. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says it this way, verse 27, now you are the body of Christ. Now don't take this corporately, come on, take this individually. You are the body of Christ. And each 
one of you is a part of it. And what makes that so special is your connectivity to the body. If I'm a part of the body, that means I'm connected to the body. Uh, if, if I were to lose uh, one of my fingers in some accident and they put the finger in a bag and we run to the hospital and uh, they, we don't get there in time for the doctors to put it back on, but they go, but here, here, you can have, the, you can have your finger still, still in this bag. How many knows that would do me very little good? It's not like I'm gonna keep that in my pocket all the time and somebody goes, what happened to your finger? Oh, it's right here. I'm, I'm fine, it's right here. It's like, keep it with me. No, what makes this effective is its connectivity. The same with you. You can kind of be around the church, but God's calling you to find time to be a part of the church. Find time, make time for fellowship. Be a part of what's going on. I, I like, I got an email from one of our members and it kind of really illustrates what I'm trying to talk about when, it, when, we, when we talk about finding time for fellowship and, and what we glean from one another. Listen to what this email said. He said, Pastor Johnny, I, I watched the service in my house. My friends, also, who are also members of the church, they noticed that I wasn't there. And so our friends came directly from church to my house uh, and so, I, so we prepared lunch for everybody. And during lunch, he said, I opened my heart and told my friends what's going on in my life and what we're going through. And our friends put their hands in their pockets and they pulled out and gave us a bag of mustard seeds. It was the Sunday that we were talking about being a believing church. And we'd given out those, those little bags of mustard seeds. And now here they were at their friend's house who wasn't able to be in church that day, they pull out those mustard seeds and they hand them to him and, and they said, we are in this with you. Let's take this mountain together and command it to move in Jesus' name. He said, there was so much peace in my house, so much faith in my house. He said, there was such a change in my mind. Pastor, I just experienced a living church thanks to your message. Here's what I love about that email. Amen. Here's what I love about that email. The breakthrough didn't happen during my fabulous preaching. <laughs> and I'm fine with that. You know when the breakthrough happened? When God's people got together face to face and said, let's do this together. Let's take this mountain together. And at that moment, that's when he feels the breakthrough. Now you were, you were designed, you were called not just, to, not just to be around here, not just to believe, you're also called to belong. So let's find time for fellowship. A church that is involved will also develop in doctrine. Develop in doctrine, so important. This early church, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Every day they continued, in verse 46, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. These, these early, pure believers in the infancy stage of the church, they were diligent and constant, devoted themselves diligently, constant in their attendance upon the preaching of God's word, the study of God's word, the apostles' doctrine. They were never going to disown it. They were never going to desert it. They were never going to not have time for it. No, they were tied in to doctrine. The early church did more than just make converts. They made disciples. That's what we're called to do is to make disciples. So part of your faith journey should be to be developing in your doctrine, in your understanding of the word of God. And if I were to ask you, well then what is your plan of growth right now? Like what, if you had to articulate, okay, to develop in my doctrine, I am, and finish the sentence, what is your plan of growth? And some of us would maybe have the answer like, this is it. 
Like, check me out. Like, I'm, I'm taking part in this service right now, and I'm growing in my doctrine because I'm listening to the doctrine being preached, which is great, all right? I'm, I'm glad you're here. But if showing up to church once, two, three, four times a month, if that's the, if that's the uh, completion of your growing in doctrine, I'm just telling you that's probably not going to be enough for what we are facing in this world right now. At some point, you're going to have to know the truth in your own heart, in your own mind. At some point, you're going to have to develop what the doctrine means to you. Why? Well, let me put it this way. Um, I don't know if, across, since this service started, I don't know if there's been anybody in any of, these, uh, any of these services at any of our campuses, I don't know if there's been anybody that has uh, been concentrating on breathing. Like, I, think, I think you've just probably been doing it. I mean, maybe, maybe somebody was just so, so locked into what I was saying you forgot to breathe for a second. <gasps> oh, okay, man, it was so good. I forgot to breathe. Like, I don't know if that's happened, but probably not. You've just been breathing, and you know what? You didn't have to give much um, effort to it. You didn't have to give much concentration. You didn't have to practice that much because in this environment, there's plenty of air. And with your current level of uh, exercise, breathing happens pretty naturally. You don't have to think about it that much. However, if we change the environment, let's put you in the ocean. Let's put a snorkel on your, your, your head. Now you're, you're about six inches, eight inches under the water. Now you got to focus and make sure that you keep your head at a certain angle that keeps that tube up in the air. Now it feels unnatural because you're in the water, so your brain's telling you that you shouldn't be breathing, but your tube's out of the water, so you're trying to keep it. And now you're having to focus on breathing and think about what you're doing and think about the angle of your head. Let's take it even deeper and let's go down into the scuba level now. Now you really better get some training down there in the scuba level. You better understand your gadgets and your gears and how much oxygen is coming through and how much you need to get back up to the top and how to breathe through. You better go through some classes now if you're gonna be down there in, in that environment and still try to breathe. Okay, so in certain environments, you got to think more about breathing than you do in other environments. And so here's what I'm saying. In this environment, yes, there's a lot of truth up in here. So we can just breathe in the truth. The problem is we live in a world where truth is becoming more and more scarce. And the church better be intentional about the truth. We better learn our gadgets, we better learn our word, we better learn our truth, we better learn what it, what it, how, to, how to breathe in the truth in the midst of the world that has very little air of truth out there. Yes. I mean, it's getting worse and worse, people teaching doctrines, well, really teaching the doctrines that come from the devil. That's what First Timothy chapter four says. Verse number one, it says, now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last time some will turn away from the truth. From true faith, they will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. So I, I, as a pastorally, let me just call you to develop in your doctrine. We're right, right now with our grow classes, we're in, we're in a semester break, but those grow classes start back up on, on April 10th, and maybe that's what it looks like for you, is to just jump in for the first time into a grow class, have a regular systematic study of God's word in your life, have some accountability, where maybe, maybe someone's gonna even hold you to, maybe, maybe even having a, a better devotion life, like do something to develop in your doctrine, because our world needs Christians who know the word of God. And, uh, amen, thirdly, a church that is involved will help create hospitality. I like this. Verse 45, they sold property 
and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Hypersensitive to the needs, serving and filling the needs of people around them. I love that. Verse 46, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. That doesn't happen without somebody being willing to serve. That doesn't happen without somebody being hospitable. That doesn't happen without somebody helping to create an atmosphere of hospitality. This is, this is what we read about this early church. Not only, not only did they give their money, but they also gave their time. Now, some of us find it easier to give our money than our time. You know why? Because money is a renewable resource. If I give a dollar today, I can make a dollar tomorrow and I'll get a dollar back. Give it again. It's a renewable resource, but time is not a renewable resource. I will never have this minute over again. Wherever I spend it, it's going to be valuable. I'm glad that you are spending these minutes right now uh, with, with us at, this, at the church. I'm thankful for that. And that means something because we won't have these minutes again. Time is a non-renewable resource. That's why the offering of time is so valuable to the kingdom of heaven. And God is calling us to give of our time to be hospitable, to create environments that make, that make this uh, thing welcoming to this, to this world. And uh, I think there's probably two main lies that the enemy tells to try to keep people from investing their time, to keep people from helping create hospitality as a church and serving in all the different areas that you could serve. Here's what I think probably the two most predominant lies that the enemy tries to get you to believe. Number one, he tries to get you to think this. He gets you to think, well, I look around here and I see all of these people. Surely somebody here is better than I am and there's, they got plenty of help and I'm not needed. That's the first lie of the enemy. And listen to me, there are people and, and that whole concept that when I look around and see a lot of people, that's been scientifically proven. They've wired people up to measure the, egg, uh, the exertion of their muscles and they put them in a tug of war and if they have like three people on their team, they exert like this much energy and then if they get like 10 people on their tug of war team, they exert less energy. You know why? Because they're looking around and they're saying, well, somebody else is, I mean, I'm sure someone else is gonna do it. And that's a lie of the enemy. Yes, there's people doing things. Yes, there's people serving in roles but they're not serving in your role. They're not doing what you're called to do because you're called to do what you're called to do. And so that's the first lie. I think the second lie that the enemy tries to tell us is this, that, well, I mean, I would, I would help create hospitality. I would serve, but I don't really have anything to offer. At least I don't have anything that would really make a difference. You know what? That is such a lie of the enemy because God has put gifts inside of you. Listen to the way 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 says it. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Each of you, all of you. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though it was God himself that was speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that come that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. You've got gifts, so use them. When I read that, I remember back to when my oldest son was uh, probably, it was probably his fifth or sixth birthday. And that year, all he wanted was a bicycle. He wanted a bicycle for his birthday. He made it very, very clear that that's what he wanted. And so we got him a bicycle. But when he was opening his presents, we decided to set the bicycle outside. And just to, for fun, we wrapped up instead just a bicycle helmet. 
So he opened up a couple of his presents, and then his last present that he opened up was the bicycle helmet. And we said, there it is. You said you wanted a bicycle helmet. There it is. He's like, no, I wanted a bike. We're like, oh, what about the bicycle helmet? We're like, try it on. So he puts it on. He's sitting there on the couch. He's mad. His birthday has turned sour. He's mad. I have a picture of it, but I didn't show the picture because he didn't have a shirt on. We couldn't have that nudity on the, up in church. But there he is. Five or six years old with the bicycle helmet on inside, arms folded, just mad. And we said, well, let's go outside and try out the bicycle helmet. He was not tracking at all. He didn't want to. We're like, just come on. And we open up the front door and there's his bicycle. And I expect him to go, yay, my parents are the best. And hop on that bicycle and just go. But he didn't. He was still mad. (laughs) He was not going to let us off the hook that easy. And so he still just sat there. Staring at that bike, just mad. I'm like, come on, try it out. He's like, I don't want to. <laughs> now, eventually, he got on the bike and used it. But could you imagine? Could you imagine if that bike never left our front door? Can you imagine if it just leaned up against our house for a decade or so and he never used the gift that I got him? Do you imagine what that would make me feel like? I wonder if God feels like that at all with us. When he's put these specific gifts in your life that you could get from here to there. You could actually take the kingdom somewhere with what God's put in you and there you are with your arms folded up saying, yeah, but it's my gift's not as good as their gift or I don't look as good as they do when they do their gift or I don't feel like I'm as spiritual as that person. So there you are with your arms folded when God says no and involve church. God says, I'm in calling a church to use the gifts that I put in them to make a difference, to create hospitality, to make a way so that the world can come. There's people that are serving all over this campus today to make this service so welcoming for the lost, to make us known that people can come and hear any with whatever they're going through in their life and find help and healing. And that doesn't happen without people help and create hospitality. And the last one is this. A church that is involved will see others saved. Oh, this might be my favorite part of this. Because in verse 47, after this church is so involved, we see the, the side effect. We see the ripple of their involvement. It says, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Of course, we have reason to think that there are people that despised the early church and hated them. I think we we know for sure the Pharisees would have and the chief priests would have. And yet it's described that this church enjoyed the favor of all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number daily. Why? Why did they have such impact? Because they were so involved. Because the world looked at these early believers and said, these people truly believe what they say. These people are not just going through the motions. These people are not just showing up to church because their parents went to church. No, these people are living this stuff. And that's what gave them impact. The more involved we are, the more impacting we will be on the lost. That's really, that's really why I would preach this. Because in case you ever wondered anything contrary to this, let me just clarify something. The reason why Faith Assembly exists is to help people encounter Jesus. That's it. Help 
people encounter Jesus. I want you to encounter Jesus today in this service, but I also want people that have never encountered Jesus to encounter Jesus as they see your life. A Christian who's involved. A Christian whose, whose decision to believe on Jesus is affecting their behavior. Well, that's when they'll be impact. And that's why we exist. Not even for us. I mean, you're here. And I love that you're part of the family. But now, let's turn our attention to those that need to encounter Jesus. Maybe for the first time. I heard about an international convention that the Salvation Army was doing a bunch of years ago. William Booth, it's, it, the, the organization's founder, was supposed to be the keynote speaker at this event in the final session. And he became ill and he was not able to be in the session and so instead he wrote his speech down and he had someone else read his speech. And that person got up in that international convention to read William uh, Booth's speech. And when he read it, it was one word. This person gets up to read his speech to the international convention of the Salvation Army and he says the one word, others. Others. And people say that that day that that speech impacted them more than many that they'd heard in their entire life. Just that thought of the reason why we exist is for others. That's why we have to be involved. That's why even in a world that's becoming more and more cynical against the church and against Christianity, I know that that's happening, but we can still have favor with people. Don't, don't ever think that you can't have favor with people living a godly life. Yes, you can but not by playing church. You're gonna have favor when you, when you become the church. I hope you enjoyed listening to the Faith Assembly podcast. Thank you for joining us in pursuit of growing closer to Christ. Stay tuned for more messages released every week. God bless.